brother is eight years older than me, so he was eight when I arrived. Mm -hmm. And um, from what I understand, from what I know, it was pretty whatever before I arrived. Right. That's my perception. And I um, believe that from what I understand, uh, my parents were probably, I, they were 40 mm -hmm. when they had me. So it's a little different. Like growing up, I didn't have like my parents talking to other parents and like the kids would be like, oh, why doesn't your mom hang out with my mom? And like, now I know like your mom was like 21. My mom was 40. Like I remember rollerblading with my mom and she mm. fell right. and uh, she almost broke her freaking hip. She was 40. Like imagine like having a baby or like a seven-year-old when you're like almost 50, like right. that, just that perspective, you know? And my brother was eight. So there's no sound whatsoever at all. Is that a headache? <laughs> I thought it was that, but that wasn't. <laughs> there it goes. Can you hear us now? You can hear us? Buzz, can you hear us? Just want to make sure that we have sound. We can start over. <laughs> Let's do it. Do you have sound? I mean, I'll go check. Yes, there's sound. Now they're saying there's sound. Okay. I don't know what happened there, but okay. <laughs> Welcome to Peggy's Recovery Corner. We are a podcast, a recovery podcast. We we talk about all things recovery, or lack thereof, depending on who you are or how you roll. We talk about alcoholism. We talk about addiction. We talk about mental health. Today, my very special guest <laughs> is Becca. Hey. Becca has been on here before, but we decided to yank it because... She was in a certain headspace during that time, and right now she's had this awakening where she wants to be back on here and hopefully help people. Well, I, I really feel like you can. So we talk, we delve into your past. We like to go through the like your past, where you were raised, where you were born, whatever, all that stuff. What you got into, all the stuff you experienced, and then later what happened. So again, you were born in Brea? Correct. They have a hospital in Brea? No, uh, Fullerton, St. Jude. Okay. Okay. Third time's a charm. Sometimes it takes more than right. once to start the day that over. That is correct. Okay, so uh, I was born at St. Jude in Fullerton, and uh, my mom and dad had me when they were 40. My brother was eight years old, so he's eight years older than me. Uh, by the time I was eight, um, I started having some behavioral issues, mm -hmm. um, and uh, my brother was 16, and so, so like less than three years later, he was off to college, mm -hmm. um, so he was probably... Uh, everyone's perception is different. Mm -hmm. Mine, um, mine was obviously like community. Like I start thinking like communication in my family, mm -hmm. like was non-existent. There was a lot of um, gaslighting, um, lack of communication, like negative attention, mm -hmm. seeking behaviors. Um, so, for people that don't know what gaslighting is, can you explain what that means? <laughs> um, yeah, so an example of like the other day, um, I, I'm sorry if I'm all over the place, but That's my brother okay. said, I always wondered why Becca, this was a conversation my mom, my dad's on the couch, not involved. Yeah. And my brother said, yeah, I always wonder why like Becca had like sticker charts and marble jars and like I didn't have that stuff. And mom, you said what you told me is the squeaky the squeaky wheel gets the grease mm. and i just googled what that meant and uh she said i never said that you you just make these things up i don't know if you dreamt it um and he said yes you did so it makes you it it takes you away your truth it makes you double think like it yeah. makes you like doubt yourself second guess, second yourself. guess yourself makes yeah. you think you're crazy a lot of those movies like lifetime movies guys mm -hmm. Do that to the women. It's a an abusive technique, and I don't think my mom is knowingly the way she is. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it's a defense mechanism. Okay. Whatever. I think she grew up a, in a lot of the same ways that I did. Okay. Uh, in an abusive, alcoholic, mental health, mental illness family, mm -hmm. and um, I truly believe that. Yeah, alcoholism is a family illness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no gene. Yeah. And um, but mental illnessism is a gene. It's in it's in the family. Okay. Alcoholism, behavior and actions and whatever. Mm -hmm. 
my thought, and this is all my opinion, it's mm-hmm. not written down, I've heard things, and this is just my belief, is that it's like passed down from generation to generation. Mental illness? No, alcoholism, okay, correct. Okay. So these like same behavior patterns with like the gaslighting and the abuse and everything mm-hmm. causes certain actions and patterns that get passed down. So there's no gene of alcoholism. Do you agree with that? You know, it's interesting. When I went to school for to become a drug and alcohol counselor, we were learning about uh, genetically. They, in school, told us that alcoholism is genetic. Okay. Well, that's what they taught us in school. And based off of case studies and things like that, like there was somebody who was born in a family that was put up for adoption. And later that person went and lived in, with a whole other family and became an alcoholic. And when they traced it back and the person went back and like biolog- did his biological checkup, like to see who was his actual parents, when he found them, they were alcoholics. Now, does that mean it's genetic? Not necessarily. I think uh, it, it can happen for some and it can happen for others, right? There's a lot of family, there's a lot of people that are alcoholics where they'll have six kids and one of them becomes the scapegoat, one of them becomes the mediator, one of them is the alcoholic, one of them wants nothing to do with any of it, right? Depending. So you have, it can be, but I, you know, I don't necessarily think that it is for all people. Correct. Right? I totally agree. Because in my family, like my mom and dad were not alcoholic. My sister and I became, you know, we, we had our own addictions and alcoholism, right? And I actually had cousins in Iran, which I've never really met in person, okay. who their, our great grandfather was a full-blown addict like major opium user, right? Okay. However, like his kids, um, which is my dad's side, there was no addiction as far as his, his sons and daughters. But then us, like later on, we became addicts and alcoholics. Is that genetic? I mean, if I really want to like think that it is, perhaps, it, you know, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily know that. I think sometimes drugs and alcohol just come into our path and like we like to use them because we like the effect. Correct. Right? To overcome all the bullshit and the trauma and the, and the mental illness and the things, because it really like soothes us. Honestly, uh, yes, thank you for that reminder. And uh, yeah, so back to growing up, Mm -hmm. I believe that my brother had a completely different experience than me. Mm -hmm. One being he uh, got into video games. I think he beat Zelda. I don't know what year that that game came out. I think he might've been, he started playing Super Mario World, beat that game very young. He beat Zelda at a very young age. He's very smart, Mm -hmm. Um, book smart, not uh, whatever. To beat Zelda is a big deal. It is a big deal. He's very smart, like very, like up here smart, Mm -hmm. Um, very talented, very funny. And uh, so he like escaped the the craziness in his video games. Mm -hmm. And he also played sports. He played uh, tennis Uh and uh, I think that's it. Yeah, I played tennis and like my parents tried to throw me in team sports and I was just like, no, I can't do it because I had so much craziness going up on here. They're like, well, team sports aren't for Becca. I tried freaking ice skating, horseback riding, dance. I stuck with dance for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, And I tried everything, honestly, music. I just, I couldn't, there was just so much chaos Mm -hmm. and like, it was crazy. And um, so yeah, he had, uh, what you call it? video games and sports. So that was his escape. That was his way of expressing himself and getting out the craziness. Um, Mm -hmm. But when I was eight, he was 16. Um, I got hospitalized for the first time in fourth grade. Um, They put me on antidepressants. I think that- At the age of eight? Correct. Because I was depressed. I read uh, notes. Um, Honestly, I was digging through some files looking for my social security card one time. Yeah. And I found like nurse notes, like depressed and withdrawn, often tearful. And I was like, whoa, nurse notes. I can't wait to read these. And like, yeah, yeah, eight years old, got put on Zoloft, uh, gained probably like 40 pounds. Uh And I cut my hair off. I was going on the rooftops at school. I'd be like, hey, look at this. I can go on the roof. And I would like jump from like the building to building. I was like, you were really doing that? Uh, Yeah. You were really jumping? 100%. Oh my God. Yeah. I was manic. That young. Correct. Okay. I was insane. So like that was my first experience with drugs, but they were given to me. Sure. Um, so to this day, I cannot take antidepressants. Mm-hmm. A true bipolar cannot take antidepressants without a mood stabilizer. Okay. Um, I'm my meds that I take today. I do take medication. Our mm-hmm. mood stabilizers. We don't need to go into what they are. Now, did they diagnose you then as bipolar? No, they diagnosed me as a. Uh, basically what that is on this to be on the spectrum mm-hmm. 
Um, they called it Asperger's back then. Oh, I remember. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of like a taboo call, thing now. They don't call it that Correct. Right, uh, right. That would be like a derogatory term now. Right. Um, right. It's on the spectrum because there's just so many mm-hmm. ways it could be on the spectrum. Yes. But yeah, it was because of my behavior in school that they diagnosed me with that, my outbursts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. Which, which, when you're in a manic, a manic episode, it, you kind of can't help yourself. Correct. It, it's just, it's an, a, I've never seen this because I work. In treatment, I've worked with many people. When when somebody is bipolar, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I become compassionate. Everybody, other people might think this person's fucking crazy. Like, what's wrong with them? But when they're in a manic episode, there's it's the chemicals are imbalanced. Correct. Right. Okay. Yes, I personally have never been in a manic state without medication. Mm-hmm. When I was a child, I'm child bipolar. Like, I have rage, can't control my anger, wow. like. Honestly, in the environment I was in, how could I? Mm. Um, when I was a little kid, I'd cry, break, and scream, and rage. And right. I was told, shut up, like, isolate to your room, take everything off the walls. You're pooping and shitting and whatever, peeing in a bucket. Uh-huh. Like, you cannot act like this. It is not acceptable. Okay. And then I was told, you have Asperger's. I, and then I was told and given, given books to help me understand myself. Mm-hmm. You don't like to be touched. Um, so no more hugs. Mm. Um, and I, I was given this book, I forget, like to give people like, so help understand me. Like mm-hmm. for a little kid, I have Asperger's. This right. is what I don't like. This is what I do. Like I, I was put in speech, um, as a kid and they'd be, I just remember this moment. They're like, okay, so what does it mean um, to be all thumbs? Does it mean that you literally are made of all thumbs or that you're clumsy? And I would just be sarcastic because mm-hmm. I thought it was a joke. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, so Becca's behavior today, um, she's, we were working on idioms and, you know, and I'd just be like, this is, I don't understand why people are treating me this way. And mm-hmm. I don't understand myself because I don't relate to this. Right. And um, I tried to kill myself in sixth grade. I cut my wrist. How old is sixth grade? I can't remember. 11, maybe. I was probably younger because I'm October. I'm an early starter in school. Okay. Um, so you tried to cut your wrists like you actually went for the vein? Um, honestly, I don't know. I I wanted to die. I right. remember I got like kicked out of a dance recital mm-hmm. for school. I didn't know that I was going to die. I just was like so in the moment, like just wanted to feel better. And I don't know where I, I still don't know. I like black out when I get really upset. Sure. I have no idea. I just know. I remember the moment. I don't want to be too descriptive, but the way I did it, I had never done it before or seen it before. Mm-hmm. It bled a lot. Um, I went to school the next day and um, some, uh, I had an aide growing up and I have been an aide <laughs> as an adult Okay. and um, for kids like me. And um, the, she saw blood through my shirt and I had bandages on and she called um, the fire department or whatever. And they, I remember running through the hiding and bushes. I had a green belt in my house growing up and I was hiding. I was scared. I thought they were going to take me away and they did. And I was back in that like cold room at UCLA, you know, in the mental institution, basically a mental hospital. I remember they gave me Thorazine whenever I would cry too hard or get really panicked. You know, I got get to that place just totally overstimulated, totally off the walls. And I would take, I don't want Thorazine. It made me feel, I don't like downers. That's not what I'm about. Um, But anyways, I went to a, we talked about this before. If you've seen this, I went to a special school lockdown facility, junior high metal detectors. Mm -hmm. It was the most traumatizing experience I've ever been through in my life. I didn't belong there. I just needed like love and patience. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I just need someone to say, it's okay. To feel upset, like, it's okay, you're okay, Mm -hmm. you can be upset, like, I didn't need to be punished for being upset. Yeah, I needed to be taught coping skills. Mm -hmm. I never learned coping skills Mm -hmm. until, honestly, like, (laughs) the last couple of years. Recently, yeah. Yeah. Um, So I got diagnosed bipolar when I was in high school, and I got put on lithium and here I go. <laughs> Just got really big. Um, That's what the meds do a lot. Correct. Yeah. They make people gain weight. That's yeah. And food is a comfort. Sure. Yeah. It makes you feel good. And there's a saying, it's just random. Uh, Austin Powers, fat bastard. Mm-hmm. It's, I love this quote. It's like, I'm unhappy because I eat, I think. And I eat because I'm unhappy. 
Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good one. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Fat bastard, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, but I, that resonated with me. I was like, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I like couldn't get my life together. You know, I couldn't, I had my first addiction was, or my, not my first addiction. All I wanted was like to be accepted. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted I wanted to be heard and there was a lot of yelling in my house. And like, I had this thought like the other day, I was like, why do I yell? And it's because why does anyone yell? Is it because of the yelling that was going on in your house? No, I'm going to ask you a question. Don't think about anything. Why would someone yell? To try to get their point across. Yeah. Cause they, they're not being heard. Right. They can't like, I, so I was like, yeah, that's literally why would anyone yell? Cause so someone could hear them. Right. Yes. That's why I yell. Cause when I'm saying something Mm -hmm. and then I hear a loud noise or someone is talking over me, Mm -hmm. I will raise my voice cause they are not hearing me. And that's why there's so much yelling going on in my house. That's why Mm -hmm. I always yelled. And then like, and I'm yelling and someone's still not hearing me. So I will break something. Mm. Okay. So I'm like, listen, I'm trying to say my truth. Yes. That would be why that's why any child would have some kind of outburst Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. my mind. That's what I did. I think. Yes. And I was not taught coping skills or how to communicate properly. Mm. And I, that's the type of behavior that happened. And so when I got older and I had this kind of behavior, it was unacceptable. Okay. So, um, yeah, during, during, I, during your youth, mm-hmm. besides the trying to cut your wrist, mm-hmm. was there any cutting? Like, just, Oh yeah. High school. Uh-huh. Um, I, I got a boyfriend. It was the first time I ever like felt besides like, well, yeah, I guess I, I had a boyfriend before I drank. Right. And that was the first time I felt like acceptance from somebody. All I wanted was to be hurt and accepted. That was like the first real, like yeah. I needed and what I craved, mm-hmm. obviously from mom, what, my brother, I always wanted his attention. He'd be like, yeah, you want to come in and play 007? I'd be like, yeah, oh my God, I want your attention. Mm-hmm. And he'd be like, all right, here's the room. Here's the controller. And then it would be like, yeah, yeah. and like, he'd just be like, all right, get out. Like <laughs> gang up on me and I die in the game and just dying for attention to be seen. And, um, so I had a boyfriend. It was a very volatile relationship and it mm-hmm. wasn't just on his end. It was me too, mm-hmm. breaking up all the time and whatever. And then, yeah, I, my first real spiritual experience where I felt like I, I can do this and this is, I have arrived was drinking. Um, I drank. How old? What? How old? I think it was 14 when I had my first drink. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents went to a, a Dodger game and my friend drank first. And then the following weekend, um, I was like listening to AFI, having my own spiritual experience without alcohol, just like moshing in my room and having that a fire inside, which is what AFI stood for, Mm -hmm. stands for. And, um, and then I drank and like, it it gave me more fun. Okay. So, and then like a couple weeks later, I go to a park with these people that I think are so cool. This is when the, when scene was like the big scene. Sure. This girl had pearls and she looked so cool and she was older than me and this guy was so attractive. I had a crush on him and we were all drinking 40s mm-hmm. at a park and I was like, this is so cool. And everyone thought I was so cool because I was the only one that had a car. I was drinking. I could be funny. I could be myself. And people saw me, you know, and I got home and um, someone made like a little picture on like Microsoft Paint because we didn't really know how to edit photos then years later yeah and it was like me with the keys and a 40 and someone with a cigarette it was like this i think i still have it it's great (laughs) and i was like oh my gosh i have friends they think i'm cool i drive and i'm drinking i'm gonna do this every weekend right Mm -hmm. and uh i never drank before and i was just like drinking jack daniels and shots and i would always black out and um, my best friend moved away in fifth grade and that is eventually what led everyone moved away like just like everyone I get got close to and with my friend and my soulmate yeah. or whatever I attach to people mm-hmm. goes away. And that was just the pattern since mm-hmm. literally preschool, kindergarten, fifth grade, my neighbors that I grew up with moved away in third grade and it just kept happening. It was like a pattern in my life and it still is. Mm-hmm. And I take a big part in that. Um, but before I didn't, it was just this pattern that kept happening and just unfortunate circumstances that yeah. didn't have anything to do with me. Did you and, feel abandoned when people? Oh yeah, I was so sad when my best friend Kayla moved away. Mm-hmm. Um, I had nobody. I had these like mean girls that I told you about last time that were just like horrible to me for no reason. And I see like why that was so horrible now because of whatever you mm-hmm. know. And um, so yeah, I was accepted. I had the spiritual experience. 
with the drinking and then I gained this all this weight and I, I honestly like I had a boyfriend that was nice at the time his name was Andrew mm-hmm. and uh we were together for two years after this volatile relationship for two years and um I I became like honestly like so involved and in, invested in drinking my brother moved back from Arizona and um he had an apartment that was like two minutes away from my parents' house and I go over there all the time and party and drink and I really had a crush on his roommate. And uh it was all about drinking and partying and music and fun. And um I like my ex with my boyfriend at the time was like, I have to move to Texas. And mm-hmm. he was like, come with me, stay, let's get a place. And I was just like blowing him off because I wanted to drink. I remember one time he like threw my wine bottle. I liked drinking yellowtail Shiraz with a Red Bull in the other hand because I saw a girl do it once. And I was like, she is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have positive role models. And I remember him just grabbing it from me and smashing it on the ground. He's like, you're losing it. Like, what are you doing? Like, why is this important to you? Right. And like, that was like not a big moment. I was just like, you're an asshole. Why are you breaking things? You know? Right. And, uh, and he came to the bal- to my brother's balcony and Bray and was like, are, what are you doing? And he's like, let me take you home. He's like, I'm leaving. And I was like, I was like drunk. And he's like, I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And then he left and I was depressed. Like I had never been depressed before. I was always manic and drinking and crying, <laughs> you know? And um, my I wrote suicidal letters, like real gnarly ones. Uh-huh. Like I was serious. Wow. Um, I still have them. And, um, my mom put me, they took me away. They put me in UCI and I was there for like three months and I, I'm a kid. UCI Medical Center? Correct. In the mental ward. And I'm a kid. Like, I don't know why. I know I'm depressed. Like you can't, you hear things and learn things and you can't, if you're not ready, you're not ready to hear them until you're ready, you know? And, um, and then all of a sudden I'm literally the girl and girl interrupted. They're just like you're going away. (laughs) You have this thing called borderline personality disorder and you're getting on a plane tomorrow and you're going to Boston, Massachusetts for treatment, for treatment, for residential treatment for six months. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? Like, I know I have to go get my stuff. They're like, no, 17. It was like, correct. It was like, I was like in inches, six, less than six, no more than six months from my 18th birthday. I was like, why couldn't this have happened? I, I could say no, you right. know? It was like, my, I, my, I asked my mom, like, why did that happen? She's like, it was your last shot at getting it together, you know? And uh, this was recently. And um, I got on a plane the next day. I didn't get to go home. I didn't say, I didn't get to like say bye to my MySpace friends or anything. I just got on this plane and I went and I disappeared. I didn't drive for eight months, none of it. And, uh, the story girl interrupted the movie. Mm-hmm. I went to that hospital. Oh, that's the that's hospital? the hospital um, that was in that movie. When did girl interrupted come out? A long time, maybe ago? like two thousand. Okay, so two thousand one movie now. Correct, and she was taken away for being treated for borderline personality disorder. And in no way does that movie depict what that's actually like. Maybe a little bit, mm-hmm. but that was the same hospital. And at the time, Mary Kate Olsen was there. In a special award, but that's whatever. The bowling alley from that movie is definitely the basement. The basement is in there and uh, whatever. Um, I I would, for a long time, I would give anything to go back there, but I just didn't get help. Um, hmm. I came back home and I was real overweight. And uh, I remember going to my friend Kayla's house, she lived in Newport. And I was like, how are you guys so skinny? There was this girl there who's... She's probably watching this and she was with her and um, she's sober now too and she's a staple in my I life. I already know where we're going here. You know her. And uh <laughs> I said, How are you guys so skinny? And they're like, Oh, it's uh speed. And I was like, What's that? It's not meth, right? Because I'd like watch videos in like UCI about mm-hmm. meth and like, no, 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 it's different. Right. I don't know anything about anything. Mm-hmm. And so we go pick up speed. And uh, yeah, I start my journey with that without getting too much into it. I just want to give my first experience with that. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about sorting, whatever. Right. I just said, put this in your nose, go like this, mm-hmm. you know, the drill. And all of a sudden I did that and I was in the worst pain I've ever been in. And then Papa Roach came on, cut my life into pieces. Right. I don't like that song, Right. but it was the greatest song I ever heard. And I was, that was it. Mm-hmm. And uh 
that was actually, I just realized I was 15 when that happened. That was the first time I ever did that. This was not when I was 18. When I was eight. Yeah. That was a one-time experience. When I was 18, I came back to that and I was told never smoke that because you'll end up breaking your pipe. Okay. And I didn't know what that meant until I started doing that. I started doing it every day and I lost probably like 95 pounds. And I just remember like being so stuck on it mm-hmm. and like saying like, how can I ever, I want to do this every day for the rest of my life, I understand. you know, and like being so stuck and like, I want to stop doing this, but I don't. And just waking up in the morning, I would leave my front door unlocked at all times. Like I moved out when I was 18 mm-hmm. and I lived in this crappy apartment in Anaheim and I didn't have like a lock on my door like when I, it was so crappy that they just gave me like you had to lock it from the inside so I left it open right. and people would just come in and out of my house at all times nothing bad ever happened to me besides me doing my own self to, my sure. own stuff to myself mm-hmm. and I wake up in the morning and I'd like start making coffee and someone would come in with like a pipe and I'd be like no I'm gonna make coffee today and then like five minutes later I'd be on the couch you know and um, I remember I brought my parents into my house and I was like, I need help. Like, I need to go to like Boston again. They're like, no, 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 no. Like, we're done paying yeah. for you. I was on disability at the time because I tried to get a job. Mm-hmm. And um, they, I was on federal disability, mm-hmm. 100% got like the money I needed to pay rent. My mom would buy my carton of cigarettes. I had food stamps. They were like done with me. They're like, she's fine. We'll leave her alone. I didn't have much communication mm-hmm. with them. And then I said, what do you mean you're done? I was like, I need to go to rehab. And they're like, what do you mean? What do you want? I'm like, are you serious? I was like, I'm on meth. And they're like, what? I was like, yeah, I need help. And they're like, why don't you just go to AA like your dad? And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I need to go to rehab. And they're like, no, you need to go to AA. You just walk in <laughs> and sit down. And uh, you need to do a 12-step program. And so I tr- tried doing that. And um, I would get six months, nine months. This is like f- age 20. And then I remember not drinking on my 21st birthday. And I would just keep going back. And I remember maybe it like I I moved around a lot. I've moved probably like 25 times in my life. Mm-hmm. I don't never stay somewhere longer than a year um, until now. But um <laughs> I couldn't get a year. Um, I got arrested and I went to sober living. And then that's when I found a a guy. Um, He was very funny. Mm -hmm. And uh, I ended up uh, crack cocaine became a part of my life. Wow. And um, I never messed with anything else. How old were you then? I think I was 22. Mm -hmm. Hi. (laughs) And I, I said, I'm never doing anything else. I don't care about drinking. I just want this. Crap was it. That's it. And that's still the way I am. I, I don't. It, it's captivating. It's captivating. It, it is. Yeah. You know what else? I'm going to tell you something at the tell end. Um, I'm just going to bring me back after this. Mm-hmm. You know what's really captivating? Nicotine. Oh, for sure. It's be- <laughs> when I hit my vape <laughs> I, in the morning, Pej. Well. when yeah. I hit my vape in the morning. Yeah. When after it's been like 12 hours or mm-hmm. maybe nine, oh my gosh, this cat is so good. You can have this. You can just take this. It's real gold, but you can have that. Um, <laughs> when I hit my vape in the morning and I'm just get right with God or not, yeah. it's better than the crack high. Of course. I mean, it really is. And that's all I need. But that's all I have to say about between that. Between the flavors and the nicotine, of course, when that stuff is in your bloodstream, you yeah, love it. That's it. That's all I need. Back on track here. Mm-hmm. Um, I got really scared because, like, when you think of a crackhead, what do you think of? A uh, person walking aimlessly in the streets. All Correct. Yeah. That's not – that can't be my story. Right, right, yeah, right. like, I really care about, like, appearances and fashion sure. and so friendships. So how long was crack addiction for? I never used crack more than two days in a row. Uh, I understand that. My crack addiction was sporadic. Mm-hmm random i only use with one person and then later on after i got sober for amount of time i used with one person like i had like (laughs) it 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 was controlled right you know it's people might not believe that but here's why i believe it okay there was a guy once like probably (laughs) eight years ago that asked me to help him in westwood la Uh uh-huh he told me that he sat down he goes i think i might have an addiction problem i go explain he said well i my, my dad has a shop in downtown LA 
And I only go down there on Saturday mornings to get away from everybody and everything just to go down to the shop and I do crack from 9 a.m. till noon and then I'm done. And then I come back home and I'm good for the rest of the week. I smoke weed here and there, but like that's, I'm like, well, well, that's Did you tell him he might not be an alcoholic or an addict? No, I, good. You know, I, I let it be because I was good. just like, this is the most interesting thing I've ever heard because I know when I do crack, it's all about doing a lot of crack and continuing to do crack. And, and I'm not saying I still do crack. But, <laughs> but what I'm saying, when I did crack, yeah. past tense, like it became my everything. I had to have a lot of it. And if I ran out, I'm going to go to great measures to be able to continue to nurture the crack addiction. But, yes. you, but you were controlling it. That's a yet. yet. I have yet to push a cart. Okay. And I'm just saying that's right. because of grace. And I have been there and I've accepted to my innermost self that I have addiction. Uh-huh. And I've been there where I can't stop. That would be a yet with yes. that substance. Absolutely. Um, and I truly believe, and I was truly, truly believing for a long time that I had received too much grace and I really had to get my act together. Mm-hmm. Like it was dangerously too much grace. Yes. There's no such thing. Someone told me that there's no such thing as too much grace. Mm-hmm. And I kept going to the room, back to the rooms. I got sober in 2015 and stayed sober for almost five years. Okay. Um, and the magic it, that happened there was great. But so now. So magic happen within that five oh, year period. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Magic. And I just wanted that outside stuff. And to me now I just like, if you're looking for that outside stuff, mm-hmm. like, and you don't have, you haven't found yourself yet, just stop. Like, people are, like, looking for relationships when they have, like, three months sober. Like, you don't know who you are. Like, thank you. <laughs> no. Thank I you was, for saying this. I was there, man. And I found, like, love. And it was so beautiful. My friend asked me the other, <laughs> the other night. He said, and this guy's got, like, 27 years. He said, guys, what's your take on relationships and recovery? I'm like, well, I mean, you have a lot of time sober. Are you asking me this because you're bouncing it off me or wanting to see what my opinion is? Because truth be told, like when I was really sober, I I didn't know shit about myself in a sober state. So I wouldn't even know how to talk to a woman like in, yeah. in, a, in a romantic way. Right. But I see a lot of people like you take the drugs and alcohol away from them. The first thing they go towards. No, is, they want that outside. They stuff. want that sex. Yeah. Something that's going to make them feel more validation, recognition. All sex these is things. different than relationships. Just saying if you can do it the right way. Well, but a yeah. lot of people's motives are to Correct. have a relationship that could eventually transpire into sexual. I'm well aware. Then, oh, that's why we have a sex conduct list. Of, you know. Yes. But, but, but yeah, I mean. I, I believe truly a person needs to find themselves because a vacant soul cannot fill a vacant soul, right? Yes. So so you have these rehab romances or people that are newly sober and they meet someone in on the AA campus within a few like weeks, right? Or even in detox for that matter. They meet like somebody in detox and suddenly they fall in love. I've only seen it work for a select few. Where, and if the percentage is so small, so small. Why do you think it's gonna be? You're the exception to the rule. Like, really, you're not the exception to the rule. It's not even worth trying to be the exception to the rule. Just don't find yourself and I, first, and then go seriously, find somebody. Seriously, like, don't even make it a priority. Like, I've done it. Yeah. it I was carried. I was babied right. through alcohol. Uh, the twelve step program. Right. Like. I got sober in 2015. I got a sponsor. Like I thought, always thought I was too sick for this program. And why was I too sick for this program? Because up here, mm-hmm. right? And there was literally people that were pushing carts and like completely out of touch with reality. And I can tell you, like I can be really out of touch with reality. I can get way out there. Mm-hmm. I can get so emotionally dysregulated as being a borderline. I can get so far out there in mania or so down in depression that I can't even bring myself out of it. Cause I convinced myself mm-hmm. that I only, my only happiness was a, ma- a mania or a mania. And then my depression was, is the sink of that. Mm-hmm. And that my, the only solution is suicide. And if anyone is talking about suicide, I don't care. It, it's to be taken seriously. Sure. And honestly, a hospital isn't necessarily going to be what saves that person. When you say a hospital, you mean like the treatment stays that you had at those certain places where you Correct. for three months or the place in Boston. When you're in those settings, what does it look like day to day? Are you are you sitting uh, just sitting in in your room? Is there groups? Is there yeah? Therapy? There's groups, but they're not saying like, right. "Hey, you need spiritual help." Right. And if they are, you're not listening or ready to hear it. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Right. 
And honestly, that's all that you can do. They're not saying like you need to practice self-love and learn how to fall in love with yourself. You need to not focus on worldly things. They're Mm -hmm. not saying that. And Mm -hmm. if they are, you might not be ready to hear it. Sure. You know what I mean? They're not, they're not able to plant seeds and watch you grow and make sure you grow. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't even know. You're not, I'm sorry. That was a rant, but like, they just make sure they literally are just there to make sure you're not a danger to yourself or others and maybe get your meds right. Okay. And I've never ever gotten the help I needed in a hospital Mm -hmm. or been a danger to others. I've been a danger to myself when I was a child. Okay. And I've never, as an adult, been a danger to myself okay. when I wasn't when I wasn't on drugs or mm-hmm. drinking. Right. And that's why they let me out the next morning. Every time someone's like, I'm always like, when I'm like real messed up, I'm like, I need help. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna, like it, I'm so dysregulated. I don't know how to communicate this, but I'm like, I'm so out of it. I need help. I need help. Like I need to be locked up. And they're like, Yeah, like we know, like you're gonna be. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's like so insane. Like I'm just like in the moment I can become so screwed up and so out of touch with reality. Three days ago, Pej, this just happened. I'm calling people and someone was like, yeah, you're like out of it right now. You're acting crazy. I'm like, I know I don't want to be. And they're like, then don't. And I was like, I can't right now. And they're like, get off the phone and go to God. And I can be in the hospital being like, yeah, I, I need, I need help. Like I'm going to kill myself. It's literally the only solution I can think of because it has to stop. Right. And they're gonna they've literally said to me, You're you're gonna be put away for a long time, you're gonna get the help you need. Mm-hmm. And then they let me out the next morning when I'm calm and I've walked past that same nurse and gone. Bye. <laughs> let me ask you a question. So as far as for borderline, as far as for, for bipolar, mm-hmm. if a person comes to terms with if they're diagnosed with borderline, and I know Correct. I asked you this before. Yeah. Some people will accept it and say, okay, mm-hmm. here's something here. Maybe I never noticed that or realized like what that is or what is that? I don't know what that is. But like when you're, when they diagnose somebody with borderline that accepts that they're borderline, mm-hmm. do they medicate them? Sometimes. Do they suggest medication? Um, I don't know. I've always been medicated because of my bipolar. Right. Um for borderline, um, that can look a lot of different ways. And yeah, I've never been diagnosed full on borderline. They say traits, but I relate to like almost all of it. That's my truth. Um, but yeah, I like take on, I take on things and like, Oh, that's all me. But like, I don't know. I'm like healing. I'm on a journey to heal from all this, but yeah, I've never been diagnosed. Yeah. You're full on borderline. Like Mm -hmm. you have traits. Um, but if you are, and someone says you are, I've been diagnosed. How many things have I told you in this? Yeah, anxiety, that's another oh, one. Yeah. yeah, all of it. Manic depressive bipolar. But mm-hmm. honestly, so it can manifest itself in different ways. You can act out in different ways. And one of them being anxiety, depression. Um, so you might take something for anxiety. Xanax is a big one that's prescribed if you're not in recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I have non-narcotic anti-anxieties. Sure. Um, it's, they're in the antihistamine family. No. <laughs> Um, they help for sleep. You know what really helps for sleep? And I'm not dissing medications, dude. Melatonin gummies. They work. Oh my god. So I'll take like Trazodone, which is a, a sleeping, I think it was a antidepressant in like the 60s. Right. It helps for sleep. It, you feel like such shit when you wake up, but I'll take that and I'll lay down and then I'll be like, oh, I forgot my melatonin. I'll take my melatonin gummies. I'm like, like knock right out. If I don't have melatonin, I'm having trouble sleeping. And the trouble sleeping consists of insomnia, racing thoughts. Mm, honestly, all of it. Discomfort. Depending on depending on how I'm feeling. It could be like I'm so like right now it's like I'm really creative right now. Like I want to express myself, whether it be through music, writing, whatever, that I like there's not enough time in the day to to get it all out, especially working full time. I'm like, I want to get the hell out of here, dude. I would need to express myself and get all this information out. Or if I'm depressed, it's like, I want to die. Like the, the, why am I here? Whatever. If I'm like really manic, I just can't sleep because of racing thoughts or like, I just not tired. I want to whatever. Um, or if I just want to watch TV and I'm not tired or whatever, you know? So question for you, when, when you say, okay, the other day, a few days ago, if, let's say you're going through it, right? And you call somebody and they say that you take it to God. What do you think about that? 
I love it. Do you? I'm do, gonna give do you, you mind it. Like no. Do you believe it? Oh yeah. Like can I tell you a story? Absolutely. Just literally last yes. week, I really hope someone from my work isn't watching this, but they know what happened. Um, there was this guy that got hired on the same day as me, and there was something. You're part of this story, and thank you. I am. Yeah. Oh yeah. What the hell? You're. What, you'll see. Okay. Um, you weren't. You were a part of it without knowing it. There was just this weird energy. First of all, I started this new job like three weeks ago. Yeah. And um, there was just, I got in trouble because I was showing up late every day for four days without knowing I was showing up. They just thought I was some asshole who walked in with Starbucks. It was 30 minutes late every day. And I got called out for it. They're like, uh, you're going to get fired. And I was like, why? You show up late every day. So I corrected that. And this was like where it started. Like, I know mm-hmm. my truth. Right. He, they might not, but that's on them. Take mm-hmm. it. You can have it. Um, and so that started and then just weird vibes, energy, the the vice president of sales was just really weird. And like, I was getting in trouble for things that weren't my fault. Okay. And then I was like, this guy's acting weird that sits across from me. It's actually very strange. He's telling me to do things that I know are wrong, but I'm listening to him because he's the direct point of contact. Mm -hmm. He starts acting extra bizarre. I go home. I just get on TikTok. I'm just starting on TikTok. And I just, all, all of a sudden you come up oh and how do you know when someone's on meth video pops up? I didn't even watch it. I was all, oh my God, this person is on drugs. They're on drugs and they, I don't know what it is, but it clicked like so like, like hundred percent. Like that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Going to work the next day, this person comes in late with a hat sunglasses and their cheeks are sunken in extra Mm -hmm. and they have picked at their face i panic i get up i call my sponsor and she's like whoa 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 you know slow down and i'm like no i don't need to slow it i've been like i've been drinking too much caffeine lately i'm starting i started like the mania process Mm -hmm. this was a few days ago she's like you need to slow down i don't have time to deal with this you need to go where's god in this and i was like right here and she's like you go in you put him at your desk and I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. Watch me. Wow. <laughs> and uh, I, I was like, okay, you're sitting here. And I write this note, dear God, it's me, Becca. Where is that from? A third grade book, right? Mm-hmm. I need you to make it. This is also from a friend, the same abundantly clear. Mm. That's what I wrote. And I underlined it when I'm on the right track. I also made a bad move and I messaged someone and I told them that I, what I thought about this person and I needed to have a conversation with somebody Whoa. when I am on the right track during this conversation, I need to feel it in my bones in myself and in my words. And I don't want to stir the pot. No. I just want to get the point across and communicate and I need direction. Thank you. That's it. That's, that's it. That's and it. I pulled up the note, put it in my flannel pocket, put it against my heart and took a deep breath. And I had to go have this conversation mm-hmm. and I don't know if it was like the exact thing that should happen because I needed to keep my like nose out of other people's business, sure. stay in my own hula, you yeah. know, but it was a learning experience for everybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went in there and I told them like, I need to know who to go to because this person is not giving me direction. I got who I need to go to mm-hmm. and um, I got the direction and I, and I went to work the next day. He's gone. Oh, um. Yeah, we know what happened there. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the work's going better. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Awesome. So I want to go back to, you had five years of sobriety. Correct. And then you relapsed? Mm -hmm. One night. One night. Correct. That's not a brag or like no no flex whatsoever. I threw away time. I actually don't see it as flex. Yeah. I think that. Some people relapse and they just they're off to the races for a while. Yeah. Right. Or or they attempt to come back right away, but they keep relapsing. Mm-hmm. Um, that happened to me recently, actually. You have my date on there wrong. Right. So then, but sometimes like they they realize, holy shit, this isn't good. I got to come back all the way. So did you continue to relapse, or did you do it one day and come back? And since then, you stayed sober. So. May 6th or 7th or whatever, 2020. Yeah, over COVID. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, I was so wrapped up in what other people thought and whatever. I was depressed, moved back home, break up. I bottomed out, regressed back to 17, honestly. Sure. One night, 
had too many letdowns, wasn't, I was dry and I relapsed. I said, and my, I came home, it was COVID. I was living at home. My mom said, you need to drop your clothes, shower, you're done. You can't do this. I said, okay. And I came right back and I joined meetings and I did it the right thing. And I got, I think like almost a year and a half. Um, and I thought I was doing everything right, but like I cared so much about other people's approval, what other people thought of me, what other people were doing. Mm-hmm. And it was so bad. And then I just, I went out again. And then I was like, no, I got this, you know, and I went out again. I didn't care. I was depressed. I was, I moved, I lived with a girl mm-hmm. and I, it was such a codependent relationship. And I, I needed, I needed this space to learn how to love myself. And now I know why I'm here. I live in a little back house back in Brea yeah. and I've lived there alone for over a year. Mm-hmm. And it's been the hardest, most beautiful thing that's ever happened to me. And yeah, my new sobriety date is the day after my belly button birthday, which is October 19th, 2021. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, it's like 92 days. <laughs> but I've been around and I've I been listening it. and I've always been listening. Yeah. I don't think we're truly ready to hear things yeah. or like act out and the things we know until we're ready to. And yeah, like for all I know, I might have like a full blown depressive like episode tomorrow, but right now... And right here is all I can do and be in. And today I treated my, my, uh, my sickness. Mm-hmm. I um, did my positive affirmations this morning, which I have been doing longer than 90 days. Mm-hmm. I wrote, I expressed myself um, through like words. Um, and I had a routine. Like when I listen to positive things, I do listen to some words from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I do not read them because I get lost. I mm. listen to them verbally on YouTube and I pray and I surrender. Like it's, I'm not in charge and all of these things are just my opinions and beliefs, mm. but it's what works for me. And I, I just have to learn honestly to breathe, mm. pause and slow down. And when I'm like, and just like, I'm not in charge right. and like I do get overwhelmed and yeah I can get real real out there but wound up oh yeah somebody said here let's see we should be friends that's Jocelyn I would love to be friends <laughs> trauma changes our DNA mm-hmm. issues in the tissue <laughs> it's always, it's I've heard that totally. I love it so when you reached back out and wanted to do this again. You said that something changed to where you had this realization that you don't, you were thinking differently than how you felt when we recorded before. Mm-hmm. I think that was like probably summer of 2021 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that now you say like you got sober again in October 2021, correct? Mm-hmm. So it's been, what would you say, 80, 90 some odd days? That, that I've been sober or yes. since then? Oh, yeah, that I've been sober, correct. Since you've been sober. Um, why did you want to come back out? Was it because you felt like people need to hear where Becca is right now in her life? Like as far as what you have to offer and that you're willing to help people? Because Correct. I think you had a realization like rather than going inward, like during that time when you were probably in here a lot, worried about like this shit's going to get out. People are going to hear this. And oh, I was so worried about I, it. I remember. So we said, we'll just take it all down. We'll take it, yeah, out. Yeah. We'll take it down on Facebook, YouTube. We don't need to put this out there. But but I love your bravery. I Something happened. Oh, yeah. I see a fucking major shift in you just saying, and I, you know, I don't like to push anything. Like I had another guest that was on here uh, who's actually wanting to come back to. Ooh, I love that. And she was worried about some things that she said that might be incriminating. So for her in, in a certain, I won't even say where. Like, no. She did some things that she felt like later on, I should have said that shit. So I, I always say, like, what don't we want to talk about? What do we want to talk about? But, like, what happened that you decided that you want to come back out? Like, what what was that shift in perception and, and belief? Like, why did you think it's okay now? Honestly, um, the first part, part part of it, I have a lot of people that stay away from me. Yeah. Um, and it hurts so bad. Um, yeah, it, it was an ex. At first, I have a friend to me, a friend that was very close to me, and she doesn't talk to me anymore. And, like, it was, like, way worse than a breakup. It was, like, my 
soul right like broke like my my soulmate was removed from me and then like sometimes my mom is so right and like you know, like, I hate that. <laughs> she, the other day, like, I like went to everyone except her and I went to her and she pissed me off. I yelled at her. And then I was like, dude, she, she gave me exactly what I needed. She said, do the next thing. And like, which is do your laundry and go to bed. Cause you're manic. And she said it in a very mean way. And I was like, it was the best help I needed. But like she told she's, me she's kind of got used to it. Oh yeah. Um, being a little kinder would be like amazing, but yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, but she told me like you rely on other people. You put way too much pressure on your friends and on your ex boyfriend to for everything, right? Um, so I really wanted to learn to go within and go to source, which is my higher power, the universe, whatever. I love it. I don't. And then I was like, so stuck. I don't want to rely on anybody for anything. Right. And then like, my God kept like showing me like that. You can't like, right. there's no way. And he kept showing up through other people like randomly and just like giving me like these like other perceptions of why someone behaved the way they did or why someone acted like that and like being like, whoa, like way too much. It was very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And um, I just thought like, yeah, I don't, I just wanted to like make a statement that like, I, I get it. Like, I don't know. Like I have I found the answer and it's come from within. And I just, I, I get why people have to stay away. Like I know I'm a lot. Um, I know I'm not hard to love, but I'm hard to handle sometimes. And like, if you're listening to this um, and you've stepped away, um, I'm honestly just wanted to say that I, I would love to hear what your boundaries would be with me. Uh, I'd love to have a conversation. And if you don't want to, that's totally okay. I will love you from afar. I, I love that. So let me tell you something. This is Kat Holmes. No, she, she does her own little balancing. Act. So this is what matters Same. to me. This is what I, I love. Whoever sees this, whenever they see it. Correct. I mean, a lot of people scour the internet looking up BPD, borderline mm-hmm. personality disorder, uh, bipolarity, bipolar, all of that, right? I get it. Like, because, and not just because I work in the field, but like, I often will have certain families that want me to work with their loved one that has addiction, alcoholism, but also, you know, co-occurring disorders, dual diagnosis, where... Uh, and I don't want to, I would never bring up names, but like I've worked with some people to where I start to wonder to myself, let's say an individual had like major bipolar, right? To the point where I saw the highs and the lows, the hot and the cold, the 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 days of like manic, like just being total, like major mania. But then on other days, like where they're just feeling like they're on top of the world. Let's go on a spending Grandiosity. spree. Everything's oh, great. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and, yeah. and, and I love it. And I, I want to rule the world. I want to conquer the world because I can't. I've seen people in full-blown mania where they think they are godlike, or they are God, or they are like God's number one disciple, right? <laughs> like a lot of a lot of talk. And so I, I like to delve deep within them and learn about them and see like, Where's this stemming from? I understand chemical imbalances. I understand that. Often, a lot of people are not diagnosed until they're about 20, 21. Like, if ever. If ever. But like I see like when working in a treatment setting, a lot of times a first diagnosis was made for a lot of people. I'm not saying all, but like for a lot of people is around like 20, 21 years old is when when something is different, like where they're it's evident like where a family member will take somebody somewhere to, to really like see what's going on and put him in front of a psychiatrist. And then, so, but this is what matters to me in, in all of this, you know, like in, in that one book, it says there are those two who suffer from great right. emotional mm-hmm. and mental disorders, but they too can, like, if they get honest with, they have the capacity to get honest with themselves. Mm-hmm. They too. So hearing you talk about your relationship with a higher power, mm-hmm. To me, it's it's monumental. It's it's really really good. It's good stuff because I think that I believe I believe in a higher power. I believe in a higher power, which I call God. Now, for a long time, I I would just call it higher power, right? Like because a certain book that we read would call it higher power. So 
I thought I'll just hide behind the words higher power because I don't like to say the G-O-D word because it sounds so much more than what it should be. But in reality, it is so much more than what it should be. Yeah. It is godly. It's God, right? right? So I believe God does not want his children, her children, whatever you want to call God, to suffer. I don't think that. I do not. like, And I understand, like, we all have trauma. Like, I, I've never actually stood in front of a psychiatrist and been diagnosed. But I know that over the years, had I ever been diagnosed, I probably would have gotten diagnosed with ADHD and ADD and all. Because my attention deficit, like, I, there was a few things. I could be standing in front of somebody. They could be talking to me right in my face. And I look like I'm listening. But I'm thinking about everything more than, like, what the – I don't even know who's in front of me right now. I don't even know, like, who's here. They say the average human being has 60,000 thoughts in the course of a day. I love that you said that. This, Go for it. This old tweaker right here, I'm going to tell you this right now, 180,000. Like, I could, I just had 10 thoughts within the last 10 seconds, right? Like, that's the way my head moves. So, in reality, I believe that – when we come, when we become, we have, we that are in recovery, that are recovering or recovered for that matter, are in this realm, it is of vital importance to tap into something greater than ourselves to overcome this thinking, thinking. This yeah. whole philosophy that we build in our head, we build a case against everybody, we build a case against ourselves. And we think because we heard someone say one, at one time, you're never going to amount to shit. Like, you're just a piece of shit. Like, when you look at you, 16 years old, you keep this up, and by the time you're 25, you're still going to not be shit. And then all of a sudden, I start believing that shit, right? Like, it, like I really, like, think, oh, my God, I ain't shit, right? I'm a piece of shit. And truth be told, and I loved – I had TJ on the other day, and he was talking about it's conditioned thinking. Like, we are perfect just the way we are when we were first born. That is the way God wants us to be. And we, we all have experiences, and they're all spiritual experiences. We're just in the human form. We, you know, and we get to just go forward through life and process shit. Now, during pandemic, there's a lot of people. Like, mental health just blew up. And what, oh what and this was to be expected. Like, the whole world is on edge because financially, a lot of motherfuckers are worried, right? That's the number one. For sure. Worse. And then on top of that, the fear that's instilled into society like and i'm not not anti-mask although i have very close friends that are anti-mask and anti-vax right <laughs> so but i it, it almost felt like when i for the first few months of it i felt like i was in a fucking it was like a bad dystopian like like oh 80s movie i didn't know like i didn't for i didn't know if the world was gonna go back to normal if we were all gonna die sure. i also I, there was just so much unknown and like I was going I had so much turmoil inside I'm myself sure you did. Like, and then I relapsed and like right. I lived with my parents I went back to like the home that caused all these right. issues it was terrible I mean I had and, and racing thoughts myself yeah. I used to be a conspiracy theorist when I was, when I was on meth <laughs> when you're on methamphetamines you everything has a secret within a secret <laughs> behind it right so I started wondering shit and on top of that I kept thinking to myself what about my my brothers and sisters that have like major paranoia, major schizophrenia, OCD. OCD, like especially the OCD, the germaphobes, like how the fuck are they like, you know, and then I, I start thinking to myself, I see people out driving their cars with their masks on alone in their car. I'm thinking, what's the psychology behind that? I, I did a post about it. Oh, I'd love to know. I feel like, like what, what's like, going on. Do you think the, the COVID's going to come through the vents into the car? It's like, or there's no one with you. Yeah, and I understand. Any, you know and I understand. Why? Like sometimes, <laughs> sometimes some people are so used to wearing the mask, oh, just, yeah. <laughs> like they forget to take it off when they're in the car. But I really think there's people out there no, yeah. that are so in so much fear. And so, with that said, imagine what's going on in many people's the chemicals in many people's brain chemistry. Oh yeah, as a result of like the way the we never expected anything like this. If my brain is crazy and I'm yeah. just like driving, I have like. Such, times where I just like look at a building and yeah it's a building from far away yeah. and yeah there's like a group of 20 and like one of those little windows and there's like thoughts right in every single one of those brains and how many people are in one of those buildings right, right. and there's two of us here mm -hmm. talking to one another having an experience it's right everywhere. it's all, all over the place all over yeah so this yeah. is what this is what I hope you will do moving forward this is what I, and I'm sure you already do 
being a woman that's in recovery from substances that also has had, like I put it on one of my things and somebody said, don't call it a mental disorder, call it a mental illness. Like, sure. Okay. Uh, fair. We will. We'll, a disorder sounds like you are, you know, incapable, but if, but if you have uh, illness, it might be curable or something that you can work on. Yeah. It's a character, their character defects and trauma and sure. complex PTSD is what it is. It doesn't have to be like, a label. Sure. Right? It doesn't have to be labeled. So I believe that we can all work through our traumas, mm-hmm. whatever they may be. I mean, I got a friend right now that's got major bipolar that sits in his room and says he has thoughts of suicidal ideation all day long. And I've tried to help him. I try to reach my hand out to him. I've gone and visited with him. I talked to him. I listen. I like to listen more. I don't, I'm not there to like sit there and point out, is this because you're bipolar? Or is it because you're still smoking weed? Things like that. But like, I worry about him because I don't want him to like just off himself one day, right? Yeah. So I want there. I want to be there for him when he wants me to be there for him. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. That's all you can do. And I don't want to force myself to be there for him, but like, I really love the guy. Like, yeah. I really do. I worry. You know, I, I think about him every day but um in reality like you give hope to people like you whoever gets in front of you to me it doesn't matter who's didn't want to deal with you because you're like you're too much yeah right to me what matters is for somebody to listen to this stuff and want to become your friend and you hopefully god willing talk about your relationship with your higher power to give them hope because to me for me in my recovery process to over because i was a depressive fool and anxiety ridden to the core right fear of the unknown was my biggest fear that was where my anxiety resided right and depression was all of my traumas from the past and me not being able like me just being stuck in it. I would rob myself of this present moment. Yeah. Which is, this is it. This is all I really have. That's yes. life. Yeah. This is life, right? Correct. That's not life. And that's not life. This is life. That's an experience. And this is like 95% of this shit isn't even going to happen. <laughs> right? If if it happens. 98.8. Probably. 99.9. Let's just say 99.99. <laughs> so keep doing what you're doing. Because... We need you and we need more like you that have had a, like, a, I, I love everything I've heard today. I believe that if people need to relate with you, I, just what I got from you, when the girl, when the lady said she wants to be your friend, you, <laughs> you said, let's be friends. Yeah. But fuck yeah. Because you never know who is out there in the world that's going through their own shit and they might just happen to come across this and try to find you and get a hold of you. If they get a hold of me, I'm going to ask you, is it okay if I let them get a hold of you? Because people need to know about this stuff. And like, God does not want us to suffer. I don't believe that God wants us to suffer. God wants us to be able to live in God's light. Connect. Yeah. To be able. Someone told me, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Someone told me when I was like in it, they're like, Becca, God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be strong. And like my response is like, well, I'm going to kill myself if that's true. Yeah. And so I made it not true. Yeah. And one of my things that I wrote um, in my affirmations journal was, uh, God wants me to be strong and joyous and rejoices when I am. Mm. I love it. Oh, yeah. On, and, a, on yeah. a daily basis. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, this was so good. By the way, just so you know, we did not intend to both be wearing red. She said that she doesn't really like red, although it looks really good on her. You are stylish. You Thank are, you. you. You have a I, – I love your personality. I think you're a great human being. Like, I, I told you this before in the other one that we took off the air. Like, you're a deep spirit. Like, you have a good soul. Thank you. I recognize that. I like that about you. I love that about you. So – you always have my friendship. You Thank know? you. And I appreciate you coming out and like if, and maybe in the future we have you on again. Love it. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. All right. We love you all. Thank you for tuning in today. And uh, we will be back on next Wednesday with my friend Christina Simos. I think that's how you say it. She's going to be my guest on Wednesday at noon. Love everybody. Bye.